the Links and Locks podcast. Better than most. Better than most. Better than most. <laughs> winner, winner, chicken dinner. Four. You got real talent. Don't concentrate on golf. Hello, you beautiful degenerates, and welcome to Links and Locks, the Action Network's golf betting podcast presented by Bet365. I'm your host, Roberto Arguello, and I'm joined this Wednesday along with my co-hosts, Nick Brettwish and Spencer Aguiar. Today, we'll be previewing the Century Tournament of Champions. So this week, we're going to cover, first off, a quick wrap-up from the Hero World Challenge from a few weeks ago. Then we'll get into a course preview of the Plantation Course at Kapalua. And then we'll get into our best bets, outright picks, and any other bets we've got for this market. Uh, only 39 players in the field, so not as many bets as we normally have. But it is a star-studded field. You've got all the winners on the tour from last year, plus all the players from the top 30 on the FedEx Cup playoffs points list. And only one player didn't make it. That's Roy McElroy, number one player in the world, unfortunately. But outside of him, it should be a blast this week. I'm pretty excited, ready to roll. Spencer, before we get into this week, we both had some action on Scotty Scheffler plus 800 to win the Hero World Challenge. We got agonizingly close on that last hole after Victor Hovland splashed one in the drink after he sprayed one right, sprayed one right off the tee. Hovland ended up making a par or a bogey or a par. I, don't, I can't remember. I think it was a bogey. I think it was a bogey. Yeah, bogey. And Scheffler had an up and down in theory to tie with him. But then Hovland made the putt. He didn't get up and down and Hovland won, unfortunately. We got close. No cigar. I think it was a good bet. I actually got Hovland live. So it worked out for me, but I would have liked Scheffler a little bit more. What else do you have to wrap up from the Hero World Challenge? Well, I'll tell you this, that feels like many moons ago at this point. Like obviously <laughs> we've taken the last month off from this show and um, it's kind of what we talked about when we talked about the Hero World Challenge though. Like as soon as Scotty Scheffler, and I think it comes into play this week potentially again, as soon as we see any improvement from him with the putter, the ball striking has been immaculate since the Masters. Like if you look at every single tournament that he's played since the Masters, it's essentially the same tournament over and over again, where he gains T to green. He loses with the putter. He comes, you know, in the top 10 and he doesn't win the tournament because he it, not enough putts go in, but at some point, and it might be this weekend during a birdie contest where my model seems to like him on Velcro greens where they're super slow. And I, I think that that's going to potentially help him. He sees an improvement there when that takes place. Like he has the potential to reach 35 under par. And maybe this is a different contest than we're talking about with the Herald world challenge, but like, that's kind of what I always try to find. Like I always make this example very quickly about Justin Thomas, find me the elite player in the world that is putting it together with the ball striking and the putts aren't falling in. And more often than not, at some point it turns around and those numbers drift further than they should. And you get value that sometimes the market doesn't recognize or betters aren't recognizing there. So I kind of still continue to think that we're in that same boat with Scotty Scheffler right now. I like the play. I think we were the golf course having rough on the near the greens away from winning that tournament because we know Victor Hovland can't chip, but he was yeah. able to putt his way all around the greens there. So an unfortunate loss for us. Um, I had actually a couple other bets as well. Uh, I missed on JT par five scoring winner at 12 to one. I did hit on John Rahm to finish fifth or worse. He finished, I believe, seventh. And then the most frustrating bet of the week was we had Max Homo to beat Jordan Spieth, or at least I did. And 
Jordan Spieth finished among the bottom five in this 20-man field, and Max Homa finished one or two spots below him. So we got the fate of Spieth right, just played the wrong guy against him, and I think Homa had the lead over him for the majority of the tournament, and then they were tied the last day, and they went in opposite directions on the back nine. So frustrating, but that hop and live play did push me over the top, so it was a nice week. Spencer, any other final thoughts on the Hero World Challenge before we get to Kapalua this week? I remember us talking about the Spieth fade, and um, I actually had Cameron Young over Spieth, so mm. I got lucky there and was able to hit that. I mean, Cameron Young made a run Hold at out. that tournament at the end there, mm-hmm. so um, I didn't have a problem with the home play. I think like it's one of those situations where a fade of Spieth was the correct way to go about it. You know, we all have access to different bets, and we all have different books with matchups that are going to vary from space to space with it, so... Uh, that's one of the reasons why I always like to try to find a fade candidate. Unfortunately, I guess with the Max Homa part of it, it didn't end up working out uh, there. But I think like the core of that, what we were trying to do makes a lot of sense. Like obviously fading Jordan Spieth was the correct decision. I might have another Spieth play fade this week at least, but we'll get into that in a little bit. So without further ado, let's get into the Century Tournament of Champions. We're going to Hawaii, which means one of my favorite things in all of golf. Prime time golf, baby. We get to watch night golf. Let's night golf. Here. Yes. I don't <laughs> want to wake up in the morning, have to wake up at the butt crack of dawn to watch golf. I want to sit in my chair after work, hang out, drink a beer, and watch the best players in the world get after it on a fascinating golf course. Par 73. I don't think there's any other one on the PGA Tour like this. Only three par threes. And they've got an awesome finishing hole, the 18th, par five, 670-ish yards with an incredible view of the Pacific Ocean and then mountains in the background it's going to be an absolute blast hopefully it's a little tougher than it was last year but it's going to be dramatic it's going to have elite names at the top it should be a ton of fun spencer what are you looking for at the plantation course this week so no matter how we want to shake things with this answer unfortunately kapalua isn't much more than a birdie shootout that's put into place to reward golfers you know that can convolute the handicapping process some and enhance hidden variables since more players tend to come into play when the course softens but the last part of that answer doesn't necessarily stick for an event like the century tournament of champions sure the basic form of that explanation should indicate the expectation around each player improves since scoring equals better performances for all but we're no longer talking about an older iteration of this event that will only allow past champions who qualified I think that's something that has presented us with a much more dynamic field of participants over the past few years. Now, with all that being said, the hard part of that explanation is going to be finding value and selecting the correct golfer at the top to get across the finish line. Since we'll get into this, I don't think we have a ton of strength in other markets this week. Uh, it's one of those tournaments, and, and we've kind of experienced it throughout the entire offseason where these boards continue to be weaker than I would hope for them to be. Um, but I, I believe that we're going to be able to build this around in different areas. We can, we can talk about that when we get there, but I'll randomly throw a few names here because I think the cream is going to rise to the top. That kind of creates this buffer of better players in the world that one of them probably gets the job done. That's the big difference that I'm making. I'm a little bit afraid that if we go too far down the board, the win equity shrinks to zero here. Uh, I can talk about that when we get to the outright section of where my win equity actually is at the top. It's kind of alarming here, but I randomly throw out, let's just say three players here. So um, Matthew Fitzpatrick, Max Homa, Cameron Young, like those would be my idea of better suited options in this field that could win from outside the 10 favorites, even though they are technically top choices themselves at sub 30 to one. I know that's a really weird answer to give, but 
An easy test more so helps to field out one of those tournaments that had limited stars near the top and a full field of 156 players. Not something like this where most of the top 20 are teeing it up for the week. I, I just personally think we're asking way too much out of certain players to get this job done when we go further than that. And it makes it a much more difficult board because we either have to jump to the top, in my opinion, to take a person who's going to win, or I think we're better off just not betting an outright card otherwise. Because, I mean, essentially I have like 17 players that have some realistic amount of win equity. And then it kind of just drops very far off from there. So in theory, almost everyone would have win equity because it's the winners from last year on the tour. Uh, however, we know there are some, there are 10 other players from the top 30 who didn't win last year, but there definitely is that big drop off around the 30 to one range that you mentioned where guys have way lower floors and it just doesn't seem like the best week to try and shoot a long shot this week. Nick, I, I think, you... sorry, I, I don't mean to interrupt you there. I, I think like once we get past 50 to one, and I think there's some guys in that 50 to one range and. I think Adam Scott's a good example when he opened at 60 to one. If you could still find a price like that, I don't mind it, but it's like Adam Scott, uh, Aaron Wise, you could make the argument on like Russell Henley, Keegan Bradley. That's about where this cuts off. Once you go deeper than that, I, I think you're really fishing to try to find a winner. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head there. I'm going to get into some Adam, Adam Scott in a few minutes, but the opening number at 60 to one, I liked, but now down to 40 to one, a little bit I more. Agree. No, yeah, no dice. Yeah. yeah. Nick, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I echo, honestly, everything you, you boys just said. I think for me in general, I really didn't find a whole lot of value in the outright market. I took one ticket we'll talk about in a minute that I really don't even like that much. It was more of a number grab. But I, I think for me, and, and I've said this a couple of times on the show, and it seems to work out pretty well for me, is kind of waiting for the live outrights, seeing if someone go, goes out of the gate slow that I like on Thursday and getting an inflated number there. Maybe someone goes off early and posts a big number and we can get, you know, five to eight more points on an outright of someone that didn't go off yet. Gotcha. Who are you looking in the live market for this week? Uh, it's always going to be Xander. Um, but I... Uh, I really like Cameron Young this week. I don't think I'd bet him outright. I think, again, my angle with him this week is just going heavier than the field in DFS, so we really don't need to get into that. I think guys that I I really like Russell Henley this week. Again, I'm kind of naming all my favorites. I like Keegan Bradley a lot as well in terms of um, outright equity at the price. But like you guys said, I think Keegan's probably where I would end my card and in the outright like pre-match. But live, I'll be looking at Xander, Patrick Cantlay, and probably Matt Fitzpatrick, actually. I do like this spot for Matt Fitzpatrick, despite him not having success, quote-unquote, in Birdie Fest. So that's kind of where I'm at is Xander, Cantlay, um, and probably Russell Henley in terms of the live market. How like nice both. to have players that qualify for this tournament that you like. That's not the case for me. <laughs> like great. Webb Simpson, Jason Day, they're nowhere to be found. And not champions, unfortunately. Sorry. Sorry about it. It's not 2015 anymore. <laughs> so Spencer, let's get into our best bets. Want to get us started? Yeah, I guess I'll take us into the head-to-head -head section for my best bet this week. So we have a few routes to consider there in the head-to-head -head market. Um, as I said earlier, this probably isn't the best board I've seen from a value perspective. And the one thing I always note to everyone is that these no-cut events can be brutal when it comes to weakened swings, since a guaranteed four rounds of golf can add this outlier of someone catching fire or even imploding on Sunday to ruin a surefire winner. That's one of the reasons why I wanted to avoid finding myself with tons of action on something that could go south very quickly. But there were essentially two wagers that provided the best value for me on this board. 
And before I say it, I want to preface that by saying one of them will not make my official card, and I'll explain why in a second. And then the other one is on my official card. So the first play that didn't was Scotty Scheffler plus 125 over John Rahm. Uh, that's a price that you would have to price shop around for a little bit to find it. But I decided not to use it for my official tracking card since I didn't want to recommend what essentially is a 50-50 wager to begin the season. My model did believe Scheffler should have been a slight favorite, but it's more so a number grab than anything else in that avenue. Like Rom is far from a fade candidate when we look at the broad sense of that terminology. I didn't want to start firing bets off against him at a venue he has shown immense upside. I don't think that that's necessarily the way to start the year. And then I guess to give the answer of my official wager, um, well, actually, before I do that, I'll say this. The three most overvalued commodities for me this week would be Victor Hovland, Sahit Thagala, K.H. Lee. I think a route that you could take this week is you could bet Adam Scott over K.H. Lee in round one. Uh, that's minus 110 over on bet 365. I think that's a route we can consider there. But I decided to go with Cameron Young plus 100 from a full tournament perspective over Victor Hovland. So, you know, if you only have access to, let's say, a Fitzpatrick over Hovland, I'm perfectly fine with that route as well. I'd play that up to about minus 115. But I'm going to take a little bit more juice in my favor and try to increase some of that long-term edge. And, you know, there's a ton of handful of reasons why Hovland's popping off the page as someone with massive downside potential. My model believes he's five spots worse in this field for projected proximity over his baseline at any track. Something that's dangerous for him if he loses his green and regulation edge. And then the weighted three-putt rank of 37th out of 39 golfers only adds to those potential red flags since we also see him shift from 11th on my model for putting at all courses to 32nd at this track. That's going to supply this hodgepodge expectation, which is probably one of the reasons he hasn't come better than 30th place at this tournament in two tries. And I say all of that before we even discuss the win factor, another category that progressively diminishes Hovland's returns for the week. On the other hand, Cameron Young goes in a different direction when we remeasure the metrics for a more course-specific approach. That's going to be evidenced by his first place rank in this field for off the tee plus short iron proximity. I talked a little bit about this with Nick off air, but and I'm sure he can allude to this a little bit more. That combination reminded me of his success at St. Andrews, where he freely bombed away and took advantage of his iron play. Add all of that to his massive improvement on these greens by jumping from 28th to 15th during Velcro light conditions. And it was really hard for me to understand some of the movement that continues to go in the direction of Hovland in this space. You know, maybe there's something I'm missing with an injury concern over Cameron Young that'll come out. But in my opinion, the pricing should be flipped. Like minus 125 seems more proper to me for Cameron Young. And I think that the market seems to be disrespecting him in a lot of ways this week. And uh, it's weird to me that the sharper markets that I respect are clearly getting off of Cameron Young because like he's a top 10 player for me in pretty much any iteration of how I run it. I liked a lot of what you said there, Spencer, about why you're fading Hovland. I think it's also a nice sell high spot after the win as well, yeah. when a lot of people will probably be on him this week, especially in something like DFS. So I also have a fate of Hovland coming later. So we'll get into that then. And it's not one of my best, it's not my best bet of the week. Nick, what is your best bet this week? I will go with JT Poston to finish top 20 is plus 160 if you shop around the legal market in the States there. JT's coming off the best season of his career and he finally got a win. I think it's the first time since that 2018-2019 season. JT does have an 11th place finish here as well. So I do like a little bit of course history here just because we've seen all, you know, everybody writes up struggling first timers here, debutantes, whatever you want to call it. 
he has shown success here when his game was not nearly what it is right now this year. And the proximity is from 50 to 100, something I value a ton. That is where he is elite. And shots for my model, I seem to weight it from 180 and longer. So those long iron shots, he is slightly better than two or average, according to my numbers. So at plus 160, I had it down at plus 125. So getting 30 points, 35 points of value on JT Poston. The only thing that scares me, looking at the matchups throughout the market, seems like the uh, the market's down on JT with the guys that he's priced with. He seems to be a dog against everybody like Tom Hoagie. And who else we got? K.H. Lee, he's a significant dog too. And I'm with Spencer. That is someone I will be fading in every market, DFS, everything like that. So it's a little worrisome there. But again, 35 points of value on a card that I hardly have any action on. It'll probably be, again, just just taking a look at three or four golfers in the live market on Thursday. But J.T. Poston to finish top 20 at plus 160. I'm fine with him being a dog to Tom Hoagie. I, I, yeah, I like Tom yeah, Hoagie I this week. There's not a problem there. The KH Lee thing would cause me some form of trepidation. Yes. Yeah, that, that's not great. But like the thing Poston has going for him is he is elite in two factors of my model that are going to be very important. He's inside the top five when it comes to slow Bermuda putting. Obviously, I mean, he's a good putter. That's not going to be, but he gets an improvement here. That's the bigger part of that equation. The second thing is he's sixth in my model when it came to the recalculated par four scoring that I looked at. Like that's going to be 60% of the holes this week. So if you're telling me that he's going to be able to somewhat take advantage of those par fours and he can be moderately okay elsewhere, like he's 18th in my model in par five scoring, that's perfectly acceptable. That's inside the top 20. So, uh, I mean, that alone, that's going to give you what 15 of your 18 holes between those par fours and par fives there. So I like JT Poston. I'll say this, Nick, if you're trying to find some positives, I have seen him getting some sharp action in the outright market. Like he may be a dog in some of these battles in head-to-head matchups, but the outright market, he has made some movement on uh, different books. So uh, that's at least worth noting. Yeah, note it for sure. I'll take any of the confidence I can get on. (laughs) I like the post and play. And on a similar note, I'm also going to go with Adam Scott plus 320 to finish in the top 10. This one is available at one book, but it's available as low as plus 200 on some other books. So be sure to shop around for this. Adam Scott fits this course really well for me. His strengths are accentuated and that's his driving distance, his approach play and his putting and his weaknesses are minimized. That's his driving accuracy and relatively his around around the green play. Recently, he finished solo second at the Australian Open on the GP World Tour. That was in early December. So he's played in a competitive tournament more recently than most guys have. Um, Some guys played in the Hero World Challenge. That was only 20 players. But the Australian Open, I think, a bigger tournament with a more full field of players. I like that for him. He's also in Australia, which is summer now. So he doesn't have to deal with the negative 30 degrees that some of us might have to um, over the last few weeks. And he's got strong history at this course. Four top sevens in seven starts here. So I like that for him. He's had success on other courses where there are huge undulations, changes like the Masters uh, at Augusta. And importantly, on approach, he fits the profile of someone who should excel on this course where he finished 10th last year on tour in proximity on shots 100 yards and in. And he finished ninth on shots on, on proximity to the hole from 200 yards and further out. So I like all of the profile for Adam Scott. He looks to be peaking, even though he didn't play any PGA Tour events in the fall swing. He did play those three DP World Tour events and then one Japan Tour event as well. 
So he is sharp. I like him this week. And I'm considering betting him in a few other markets, but we'll get into that in a little bit. Can I add to that very quickly? I want to accentuate that point that you just made there. And this is probably the correct way. I mean, you could go like further up or further down, depending on what price you can get there. But I think you're better off like trying to find a top 10 wager than for him to win this tournament, especially with him dropping down to, you know, 40 to one from the 60 to ones that we talked about earlier on in the week. But he's number one in my model compared to this field in weighted proximity from under hundred yards and over 200 yards. So that took the expected ranges that we were going to get this week. Uh, it compiled all of it together for every single player. Adam Scott finished number one. He was seventh in my model from driving distance, which was what Roberto just talked about. And he is second in my model on slow Bermuda greens. And, you know, I, I keep calling it the Velcro like sur- surface, but give him a slower surface on Bermuda. He's second in my model there. Those are three really high end categories that I would be, looking into if I was building a model out there and for him to be popping in each one of those areas. I think there's a lot of potential here this week to where, you know, we could argue whether or not he's going to win. I do think he has some form of win equity. Like he does fit into that mix of guys that I would consider to have win equity. Uh, But as a top 10 play as a big plus number like that, I think that's a really unique and savvy way to try to go about it this week. He might have some win equity. Spencer, let's get into the guys whom you are betting to win the golf tournament. So I'll start by saying this, which I kind of alluded to a second ago. There's essentially, I guess it's anybody, I would say outside of the top 16 of my model, anybody who's outside of the top 16 of my model, when it comes to either overall or upside, that's pretty much zero win equity players for me. So if you are using my model this week, uh, that's a pretty good hard stopping point that you can look into and just realize if the guy is not inside the top 16, one of those two categories, they have literally zero win equity for me, but Uh, The top 10 players carry almost a 70% total of my expected win equity. That's a massive amount. The remaining names that landed into one of those two other categories make up a vast majority of what's left. I just don't think we need to overcomplicate this process and branch things out so far to where we add an overabundance of exposure in places that's going to amount to very little projected equity. You know, that doesn't mean that every golfer who landed in that top 16 range for me is going to be viewed as a plus EV target, but it's at least something to keep in mind as we go about it. So I'll be the first to admit that I took a very unique approach by limiting my potential win amount from eight units down to five. I did that because my exposure would have gotten out of control the other way. You're never going to see me jump to the very top of the board and take two players at the top here. So this is about as unique of a build as you're going to see from me. I took Scotty Scheffler. I'm going back there again at 10 to one. I grabbed Patrick Cantley at 12 to one. So that's 0.50 units to win five on Scheffler, 0.42 to win 5.04 on Cantley. Obviously, we're going to need to have that win equity kind of be more in that range of what I'm saying, because uh, we're going to have to hit at a higher percentage to make that work. But, you know, I had each man somewhere between seven and eight to one as their proper value. Uh, That means that if you are shopping around in the space, you should be able to find that duo at those numbers that are going to be conducive to a wager. But, you know, to go back to Scheffler, which I kind of keep talking about, he's a golfer that's continued his ball striking acumen since his victory in April at the Masters. He's gained 6.7 shots tee to green over his last 10 trackable starts. It's just the negative 1.63 strokes he's lost per event during that same time frame with his flat stick. That's really a move most of this win equity that we've become accustomed to for a golfer that won on two or four times in less than two months. Obviously, the hesitation, if there is hesitation from people in the space, it's going to come from that floor output. 
But one, as I always say, a second place finish equals a last place result without each way betting present. And two, this is probably the perfect venue for him to get back on track because of his 11 spot improvement compared to the field on slow Bermuda greens versus his baseline output elsewhere. And then Cantley was pretty much just the ideal target for a plethora of reasons. He ranked first for me in par five average, par five birdie or better, overall birdie or better, scoring at easy courses. And obviously if he's going to be number one there, he's number one when I combine all the weighted scoring from the holes that we're looking at this week. Um, it's just really hard for me not to want to jump to the top of the board. It's like Nick and I always joke about this, even though I don't want to diminish this aspect because it does matter more than I could even say. But it's that adage that closing line value is king until the bet loses. I have a feeling a lot of wagers that are going to be placed in the space for the century are going to look good on paper with the movement, but will end up falling short when one of, you know, let's say the 15 projected favorites end up pulling this off. Uh, obviously, as I alluded to at the start, that's going to force our hands a little bit when it comes down to betting this tournament. But in my eyes of betting it, I want to take the win equity at the top. If, if you're telling me, so let's take the two guys I'm, I'm betting. Let's take Xander and let's take Rom. And, and you could throw Thomas in there, but I'll leave him out for the time being. Those four players have essentially 50% of my win equity. Like, I'm not trying to beat those four golfers. Like, I'd rather just not play the tournament. So if that means that I can reduce my win total down a little bit by going that route, I'd rather do that or not bet the tournament than try to take this approach of saying, like, here's a bunch of 40 to 50 the one golfers that I want to bet this week. I just don't think that's the most conducive strategy to try to find a winner at this tournament. That makes a lot of sense. And it's really enticing looking at the top of the board. I, when I looked at the board, could talk myself into a handful of these guys. Like you said, so many <laughs> of these dudes have so much win equity. Um, but at the end of the day, I didn't want to go with a small number. So I think in a similar vein to Nick, I went with a number play here. It's very small. I'm doing 0.2 units on Sam Burns plus 3000 on the bet 365 enhanced win. I think the course Fits him not as well as Adam Scott, which is why this isn't my best bet, but his weakness, the biggest weakness in his game is his driving accuracy. And with the wide fairways, his driving distance will play this week and he should be able to keep the ball and play more often. His around the green play is also a relative weakness, not nearly as big as his driving accuracy, but that'll be minimized by the big greens. He's a strong putter. Uh, Bermuda burns normally on faster Bermuda. So I'm interested to hear your Velcro inputs for him this week as I'm not I don't have that information here but he's a strong putter he's someone that if it gets into a shootout at 30 under I like his chance of converting opportunities as much as most other players in this field and he's strong on an approach as well t19 here last year in his first time at the tournament and this is a tournament where with all the undulation changes the wind the potential rain to make the course even longer and softer there are a lot of different ways you can play this course and so I think just seeing that having a little bit more of experience is valuable from him last year. So perhaps he can get a boost up and he's a three-time winner on tour last year. So I like the winning equity at this price relative to everybody else in the field. I thought it was a good number, not super excited about it, which is why I'm playing it at 0.2 units to play or playing it at 0.2 units to win six units. But I thought it was worth a play. I wanted to have an outright this week as well. Yeah, I mean, I think he fits into that threshold of names that I'm talking about that can win this tournament that have a real amount of win equity. And, and just to kind of go back to some of the things that you said, so fifth for me in my model and weighted scoring, uh, that's going to be like a course-specific look here. So 
that's a really good factor to have. Uh, fifth at scoring at easy courses. I guess the only thing I would add to that with the putting is he's fourth for me overall in strokes gain putting. That is not specifically on Bermuda. That would be on every single surface. Uh, so he's fourth there. When I look at only strokes gain putting on slow Bermuda, and that would be like the slowest of Bermuda tests that we can find, he drops down to 14th. So not something that makes it like so egregious to where he can't find success. But for a player that does rely on the putter, like that would be the only negative that I would say. But look, it's an easy course. He has the scoring potential to get to 30 under par. I think there's only so many guys in this field that can actually do that. And he's one of them. So um like I have a lot of people that I respect in the space that I know that are also on Sam Burns this week. So um, I, you might be on to something there, Roberto. And, and I, I like the play. And like I said, he's plus 3000 on bet 365's enhanced win. And he's available generally between 25 and 28 to one elsewhere. And I think this is a good time to remind all the listeners and viewers on YouTube that the links and locks podcast is proudly presented by bet 365 the world's favorite sportsbook brand. Sign up with promo code ACTION to get Bet365's exclusive sign-up offer in New Jersey and Colorado. Bet $1 on any game, get $200 free. That's $1 on any game and $200 free. I'm going to get into a few other lines on Bet365 that I like in a little bit, but before that, Nick, who is your outright play this week? Yeah, it's similar to, to you. I really like that number of... Uh... 30 to one on Burns. I got Colin Morikawa at 20 to one. My model had him at 17 to one. I I don't know. I, I don't know if I love that number too much. I I understand there's three points of value there for me, but uh, it's, it's tough. I don't know. Colin Morikawa kind of seems to fit everything that I'm looking for. Besides obviously the putting the short game at numbers actually are turning in the right direction from what my model is expecting, but Colin Morikawa at 20 to one. It's more of also a hedge. I probably won't be playing him much at DFS too. But yeah, again, I just, I had to get a ticket and that was one of the only ones I had decent value on was Colin Morikawa. So I'm excited to hear your guys' thoughts on Colin. But other than that, it's, he does have great history here. I think every time he's played here, it's been a top 10 finish. So, you know, I'll, I'll roll the dice at, at the price of 20, just like the top of the board, everybody's 15 to one or shorter. So Colin was kind of the, the sore thumb for me that stuck out. So I think for me on a weekly basis, whenever I see Colin Morikawa on the board, I get the same feeling that Spencer gets when he sees Jason Day on the board. So <laughs> you get excited. All right. I am exhibiting a significant amount of restraint not betting him at 20 to 1 because that's about the number where it's almost an automatic play for me. Uh, I just want to see the putter a little bit better. But he did have some encouraging signs in his last start. I believe it was at the Hero uh, where he hit the ball really well. Surprise, surprise. And the proximity to the hole outside 200 yards is always just ridiculously good with him. So if he, it's just a matter of if it becomes a putting contest, I think that hurts his chances, but he's got a really high floor in most weeks, not as long off the tee, which also gave me a little hesitation this week. But if I see the putter turn around this week, I'm going to be on him for the, for the foreseeable future in some kind of market. Yeah. I look at it as like this, this sur- the slower surface, the slow Bermuda, that's like got to be the best surface for a guy that's that yeah. bad at putting. So it should be, if anything, I feel like we're getting a pretty good number at 20 to one. If the only thing we're worried about is the putting. So l- let me add to that very quickly. So he's number one in my model and way to proximity. That's not going to come as a shock. Like you could make an argument that maybe Justin Thomas would surpass him if you're trying to like compare, but number one for way to proximity, as Nick just said, if I look in my model and strokes gain total on putting 36th overall, 
when we look on just slow Bermuda, 11th. Like, look, if you're trying to find win equity and maybe that's why he's found success here, I'm never a Colin Morikawa guy. I think that this week probably makes the most sense for those two factors. Like, give me the pristine iron player that can maybe make putts on this surface. And Morikawa is a streaky putter, which is better than being just a bad putter. Like, a a guy like Luke List is just a bad putter. Morikawa is capable of stringing together success here and there. And kind of as Nick just talked about, if you're telling me that slow Bermuda is the best surface for him, look, there's win equity there. I I couldn't get there, but I can understand why everybody would be intrigued by it. All right. So I like, hey, the Colin Morikawa play, I'm thinking about it still. I'm not out. It's the first (laughs) tournament of the year. What are you going to do? I like that the the Burns play gives me some room for an outright play. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Definitely. You do. Let's do it. Um, I'm going to keep an eye on him early in the golf tournament, and I don't have to wake up early to do it either. So love that. <laughs> Let's get into some of our other plays this week. I wanted to workshop a play with you guys. Um, so these are guys we all talked about already. Adam Scott plus 125 over Jordan Spieth on bet 365 or Scott to finish 19th or better minus 120. I like the plus money against Spieth. I think there's a the lower floor with Spieth, I think it's a buy low spot for Scott. A lot of people, he's been out of, for a lot of people, he's been out of sight, out of mind, not playing on the tour the last fall. Like we said, playing on the DP World Tour and the Japanese Tour. What do we think is the better way to, to go about backing him in this market? I think it's a good number against Jordan Spieth. Like to, to me, it's more of a battle that should probably be like minus 110 both ways on it. So if you're purely number shopping there, I like it that route, but. I like Jordan Spieth. Like, I think that you are correct, Roberto. It's that boomer bust nature that he provides. And usually in head-to-head wagers, that's a good thing. The, the one difference that I'll say here is that you're guaranteed four rounds of golf. He can't miss the cut. And he mm-hmm. has potential at any point to go like nuclear. I, I think that's one yep. of the reasons why Spieth as, you know, a first round leader wager at a price like 22 to one might be intriguing. Like if you're telling me on Thursday that he leads the tournament, I wouldn't be shocked on that. So Mm -hmm. uh, I would rather play Adam Scott to come 19th or better. Like my model has him uh, 13th overall, 14th for upside. He fits right into that range to where that's value there and the 19th or better range. But what about you, Nick? Yeah, I would agree with you hundred percent there. Everything you just said is pretty much my thoughts on that. All right, then I'm going to lock in Adam Scott to finish 19th or better uh, at a half unit. Then my last matchup play, I'm also going to fade Victor Hovland. I'm going with Tony Finau at minus 134. I didn't see the Cameron Young, I think you said even money, Spencer, yes. to beat him. Yes. I like that a lot too. Um, I'm going to have to think about that, but I like Tony Finau, his super high floor. I exhibited a lot of restraint and not betting him to win outright this week just because he's been insane i don't know what the last couple months what the last month or so has looked like for him obviously he's got a much bigger family so the holiday is probably a lot more chaotic for him i don't want to speculate on anything like, like that but the man was playing like the best player in the world arguably before he stopped playing this last fall so i'm very intrigued by him i wanted to have some type of exposure to him this week he's also a great fit for this golf course. The one weakness in his game is the driving accuracy. And he's as long as anybody else in the world. He has an awesome approach game and the putter, which has come around, which has taken him from great to even better. And among the top in the world, I like Tony Finau a lot. I didn't love the outright number for him. And 
for reasons that Spencer laid out, the three putt risks, the short game, and a sell high spot for, for Victor Hovland, maybe want to fade him as well this week. Um, actually, I've got one more bet this week, and this one's a little bit more of a flyer, and it's probably my FOMO play of the week where I have the fear of missing out, and that is Hideki Matsuyama to finish top five at six to one, betting it for 0.2 units. Hideki, someone I faded a lot last year. He wasn't healthy. It's a bummer. He's an awesome guy to watch. If you want to pull up the highlights of him from the Sony Open last year, which we're going to the Sony Open next week, one of the best shots of the entire year on the playoff par 5 18th, where he hits his second shot to like two feet. Absolutely absurd. Uh, I think they said out of less 10,000 shots from that range, like around 270 yards, he was the second or third closest, which is just ridiculous. He has upside. We know this. Like Adam Scott, he has his strengths on approach, minimizes, and this course minimizes his weakness of driving accuracy. He's shown he can win on courses that have huge elevation changes at the Masters, Augusta National. He's got three top four finishes and five starts at this course, so the course suits his game. The only question is, is he fully healthy and is he locked in? And Hawaii's a long way to go if you're not healthy, especially at this time of the year when you could be with family. I think that's a tell that he is at least closer than he was recently. And I waffled between trying to get him out right. I didn't love him at 40 to one. I wanted him somewhere around 50, 60 to one, but I wanted some kind of exposure to him. And the putter, if it gets into a, a putting contest, I didn't want to have him on my side for that. But for top five with his elite approach play with his insane potential accuracy from over 200 yards, I thought he was worth the upside at six to one to finish in the top five. What do you guys think about that one? I, I have tried to figure out different ways to get exposure to Hideki Matsuyama this week. So like when I talked about speed in the first round leader market, I kind of considered a very similar stance with Hideki Matsuyama and, and I didn't end up going there, but I like everything that you said, like, look, it's going to be a boomer bust play. I don't know if I trust him to win the tournament. That's why I think a top five play and bet for like Hideki's the guy that I would bet all the way up as far as you can up until the victory. Like I think top five is probably the ideal way to play it because if he's back, let's get all the equity that we can get there from a price. that's going to be wrong. And then on the downside of it, um, you know, I mean, you're, you're looking at, I guess, you know, a player that can withdraw from the tournament, but look as a top five bet, you can kind of get around that. So I like the decky play. And then just very quickly, just to throw it out there. Uh, you talked about the Finau wager that you made against Victor Hovland, whether it's Finau or Fitzpatrick or Cameron Young. I, I think any of those players are well within the range of what you're trying to take Victor Hovland on with. So I like that wager that you have there, Roberto. I like, I like any of those guys as well. I don't love the minus 134. I don't like playing that, paying that kind of juice. So I might actually just tell you on the Cameron Young play because I wanted some exposure to him and I'm really high on him as well. Guys, any final plays before we hit the road? No, not for me. I mean, it's going to be a, another limited card. I am very looking forward, much so looking forward to the Sony Open next week. Mm -hmm. uh, that's going to be our, our first chance, I think, to really start to attack these boards uh, like we've been talking about doing during the whole offseason. But uh, no, I'm happy to be back with you two doing this show. Uh, it's always one of the highlights of my week doing this with you guys. So, uh, you know, thanks once again for taking the time for this. And uh, let's try to continue the run that we were having towards the end of last year. Night golf, baby. Night golf. Let's go. So that'll do it for us on today's episode. Thanks for joining us here at the Links and Locks presented by Bet365. It was a blast. We're looking forward to an awesome sprint all the way 
to the FedEx Cup. For more great golf content from our Action Network Golf Bet team, check out our Golf Best Bets episode from earlier this week featuring Golf Bet's Jason Sobel and the PGA Tour's Ben Everill. You can also check out Jason Sobel and yours truly tomorrow on The Gimme. It'll be at 5.30 Eastern time live on YouTube. So check that out. We'll be giving out most of the same plays I gave today uh, and a few other ones. So stay tuned for that. A few more exotics that we can find in the, in the markets as well tomorrow. Thanks again for tuning in to the Links and Locks podcast. We hope you hit the green. Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.